you have to assume that mistakes will be made and and changes will break and so you you have to have a good plan to recover from them um but you don't want the fear of making changes and things happen and so it the the problem generally isn't that the person made a mistake the problem is well what was the what was the system around it that allowed the mistake um, or allowed it to go into production or didn't catch it fast enough What is up, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. In today's episode of the Big Ideas in App Architecture podcast, I speak to Mike Gordon, who is the VP of Platform Engineering at Fivetran. Mike and I talk about Fivetran and get into Mike's role and how his engineering teams are solving for scale. We also get into some fascinating projects that he had worked on during his time at Google. And we also talk about his advice to young engineers looking to lead. So pump up that volume and get ready for this amazing conversation with Mike Gordon. All right, Mike, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Usually doing a Friday Friday call is mostly the most relaxed that I am. Uh, is that the same for you? Yeah, most of my Fridays are are pretty open. Last week, I, I was busy all day Friday, but I'm, I'm a little bit better today. You work for a great company uh, called Fivetran. But before I kind of, you know, mess up the introduction, why don't you let everybody know who's listening right now as to what your role at Fivetran is and what do you, you and your team actually do at, at Fivetran? So my role is VP of Platform Engineering at, at Fivetran. And a, a few different companies consider platform engineering to be different things. At, at Fivetran, our platform engineering team is our infrastructure and SRE, our core software team and group our quality engineering, and then we have a dev productivity group that manages our CICD and engineering automation. Um, so that's that's what platform engineering consists of. And uh, we're one of five or six global engineering groups um, that focus on, on different parts of our system or product. So how big is your team right now that you're managing? Uh, in platform engineering, we're around 110, um, give or take. A few. Yeah. So a, a pretty big portion of engineering. Total in engineering, I think, is around 400, 450. That's awesome. Um, so your career, and I was going through this fascinating career. You, uh, you know, you've been a, uh, in the U.S. Army before. And correct me if I'm wrong, you know, in that. And from there, you got into tech, uh, worked at Google, you worked at uh, Hippo Insurance and now at Fivetran. And it's been fascinating, like, especially your Google experience was really interesting. I was reading through it. Um, tell me, how did you decide to get into tech, you know, early on? Yeah. Um, so so early on, I like to play with computers. I, I learned on an Apple IIe way back in the, the 1980s. And so really, ever since I was a, a kid, I like to, to play with computers. And so... Um, that kind of drove me getting into to tech. And it's it's good to be in a field, I think, too, where you produce something and you can say and, and look at it and say, oh, I had a hand in doing that. So that's also a good reason. Um, and then we just have a lot of interesting and hard problems to solve. Any significant moments early on that really made you, uh, you know, confirmed in the idea that, hey, I need to be in tech and I need to do engineering as like my life's mission? When I was younger, um, I used to like to, to tinker with a, a computer, and I, I used to try and program games and 3D games, and it was just it was just something that I'd spend hours on. And so I think that that partly influenced it. And then when I was in college, I actually thought about majoring in macroeconomics or in economics. So I took a semester of macroeconomics, 
And I barely squeezed out a B from the class. And I said, you know what, I should probably major in something that I'm best at. So I, I ended up majoring in computer science. Um, the funny thing about people who are in tech today, uh, one of the things that I found very common is that they're also like, you know, really either artistic or they're musicians or they're gamers. So I've seen at least one of these traits. Uh, so do you have any of these significant side hobbies also like a musician or a gamer or something else that you associate with uh, along with being an engineer? Yeah, I've been a gamer, especially when I was younger. Uh, I don't seem to find the time today to do too much of it except to play with my son on his Nintendo Switch. But I think that's that's one of the the things is I would play games when I was younger and then and then see if I could write games that were similar to them. That's awesome. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing the, you know, a little bit of uh, your past and how you kind of got into this. For folks listening, I have first time I got introduced to Fitran was I was trying to work on a problem where I needed to do some data ingestion and some ETL. And I found uh, Fivetran had a connector that would allow me to move data from Salesforce into a data warehouse that we had. And that was my first exposure. But uh, you being in the company kind of helped me understand what does Fivetran do uh, and bring to the world. Yeah. So Fivetran is a data movement company. And what we do is we provide a platform so that if you want to take data from any number of, um, I think we're almost at 400 sources and connectors, you can just sign up for Fivetran, connect to your source, and it will sync that data into a destination. And it's it's quick and it's seamless and it's easy to use. And the alternative is really difficult um, in that, especially if you have, say, a database, you would have to write some kind of sync job and spend a lot of time debugging it and to figure out how to get data from point A to point B. And Fivetran just does that. And so um, we, we like to make data as simple as electricity. You just plug it in and go. That's awesome. How different is it from like general change data capture? Um, change data capture is is part of what we we do, and so we will capture data from databases for change data. But because we sync from such a large variety of sources, we've we've basically normalized that and said, well, you have APIs that don't have that concept, or you have um, you could have a data lake as a source or a file as a source that doesn't really produce a change data capture. It's just a block of data. And so what we do at Fivetran is we we have connectors that normalize that into kind of the same stream and the same format for our core. And then our, our core takes that input and then loads it into a variety of destinations as, as well. And so we've kind of taken that change data capture concept and applied it to lots of different sources, not just certain databases. Right. And, and the way I see this is you're trying to basically you know, generalize it as much as you can across the industry by providing as many connectors as possible for sources and target and kind of truly are becoming the company that is doing data movement. And that's a fascinating objective, mission, and a goal. Yeah, it, it is. And and I think one of the big hallmarks of our product too is reliability. And so we want to do it reliably um, because that's it's it's not hard to just sync data, but it's really hard to sync it reliably. Right. So can can we go a little bit deeper into that? When you talk about reliability, how do you kind of structure it within your design parameters? We consider it uptime. And so we're pretty metrics driven in that our, our reliability is for every sync we attempt, uh, we have a certain number of retries. And then uh, if we if we fail at a retry, that we consider that a failure. And so we try and 
we try and keep a, a level of three nines reliability for all of our connectors, which we've been able to maintain. And so reliability is one of our, our most important aspects of the system. So we have concepts like um, our sinks are, are generally item potent, for example. And so if we have part of a sink fail, it should be able to pick up in the middle of a sink and not miss anything. So there's not this state where it leaves your data from the source to destination in a place where you can't recover. Um, and so that's an important part of our, our reliability uh, and the ability to have the item potence and the ability to re to start and retry from where it left off are, are two of the big things uh, that we do. Yeah. That's awesome. And especially in the last like seven, eight years, and you've been in the space for a while, data has become so critical to an enterprise, right? Or to any company, because everybody's trying to make decisions out of data. And at the end of the day, if a data remains in a stale bucket, you can't do anything with it. And you can use something like Fibrant to move data into like an analytics engine or like a warehouse, and then start to make some sense out of it. So have you seen, especially in the last, you know, you know, seven, six years, this explosion of data kind of driving the need for reliability, the need for scale, all those things into the product that you're building? Yeah, I have. And I've even seen it as a customer. So before I was at Fivetran, I was at Hippo Insurance and for three years was a customer of Fivetran. And data for, for insurance or really any other industry is essential. Uh, you You have to be able to sync data from a number of sources. And for insurance, for example, you need to be able to uh, assess whether the data you have on a home is going to predict whether you have to pay a claim on a policy. And the amount of data that that I observed, say, teams of actuaries needing, just grew over time. And so it's just this constant growth and demand of data. Someone, someone in the company would say, oh, you sync this source? Well, I want the data from this source. Can you do it? And it's nice to be able to answer, yes, we can do it. And once we do it, it's kind of a point, point and click with Fivetran, and we don't have to worry about whether uh, it's going to break or not over time. And then we would also start, I know previously before Fivetran at Hippo, we would train ML models. And so you see either the proliferation of LLMs that need just a huge stream of data to train, or just even, even models that try and optimize a different problem. It's just this endless flow and demand that's necessary to be able to keep these models running and up to date. And so the the demand over time, just from the customer side, grew. And then now from the Fivetran side, it's more my problem to make sure that we can handle that growth. And does the product currently, you? It's, is it a product that runs on the cloud uh, as a SaaS solution? Uh, uh, or is it something that folks can like self-host and run on their environment? How does that operate? Yeah, Fivetran by default is a SaaS solution, um, but we do offer uh, an on-premise product too. We call it local data processing. And so it's a slightly different code base, but we have a lot of big enterprise customers using that product too. If they don't want, say, the data to leave their enterprise, they can use it. Um, and we're ma- working on making those products more unified right now. But primarily Fivetran is a SaaS product, and, and that's what um, certainly my experience as a customer was with the SaaS product. That's brilliant. And do you operate on every cloud that is available? We do. We operate on all three clouds um, or all three major clouds. So AWS, Azure, and GCP. And part of the reason is that that for enterprise customers, they want to be able to choose what cloud their syncs run on. They want their syncs to be close to their data. And so we allow them that choice. 
Um, so yeah, we have the challenge of running in all of the clouds too. Right. Yeah. And you having worked at Google Cloud and having that background in, you know, early on as the cloud was picking up early 2010s. And then I remember you and I were talking, you mentioned that at Hippo, you got exposed to like working uh, and running uh, AWS. And then uh, you also have Azure now. So how do you feel like this cloud, I mean, of course, for enterprises uh, to build applications, to grow the whole gambit of scale, the cloud cloud platforms and infrastructure being available has been really helpful. Uh, what are your opinions as to how that has changed or helped uh, you know you as a person and leading teams at you know Google, Hippo, as well as at Fivetry and kind of drive growth? Yeah, um, I think the cloud has made growth more accessible. In in 2010, for example, the only people who had true access to the scale of the cloud were big tech companies, and so. Um, and then AWS obviously came out. Um, so you either needed to be a big tech company or have thousands of servers or have a mainframe. And if you didn't, then you couldn't scale to the level that you can now um, where you can spin up thousands of servers by just putting a credit card down. And let's say you wanted to build a new LLM, you could just do it and run five, 10, 15,000 servers at a time. And so that's, that's, a big, that's a big jump is that accessibility. Um, but it's not just hardware, I think. It's also the systems that are provided in the cloud. I know when I was at Google, um, I joined Google in 2011. And by that point, Google had a number of really best-in-class systems. And so over time, they open-sourced and publicized these. But it's not like from outside of Google, you could use some of these systems. So like there was a time where you wouldn't even have access to, say, time series observability before that. Um, but now you have Prometheus and a huge array of software as a service solutions for observability that'll just scale into infinity. And so you can really see that the cloud made that possible. The rapid pace of technology is like intense. I was talking to somebody, uh, I think a few months ago, who was saying that in 1998, they had to write their own database because they felt Oracle was way expensive. And then... And then we today we have like a plethora of databases available that cater to so many different workloads because our needs have changed so much, right? Folks want scale, folks want to run, um, you know, across multiple cloud environments, you know, or folks are like, hey, um, on say on the infrastructure side of things, we don't want servers anymore. We want VMs. A developer comes and says, I don't want a VM. I want a container. Uh, and there are so many options now available. And now all of these different solutions are also available on the cloud. So I totally agree with you about the accessibility part of it. Like you can go to AWS and say, start EKS with Kubernetes, or you can go to GCP and just run GKE, or you can choose whichever database that you want. Uh, so I personally feel like this is a great time to be an engineer because you're not limited to a solution uh, uh, and uh, that you have to make work. You can always say, hey, let me go try something else. So it's a little bit of a pivot question in your team. Um, how do you manage coping up with all of these new technologies that are coming and doing R&D and your engineers trying uh, to say, okay, can we try a new technology here or apply that in principle uh, to your company, you know, tech objectives? Yeah, we, we do a few things for that. Um, first is we run twice yearly hackathons. And so that gives our, our teams and engineers a chance to say, try a new idea that might necessarily not be a mainstream idea or something that we would do during the course of the work where we have to get certain things done at a certain time. 
Um, so I think that's one thing we do. The other thing that that we do at Fivetran that I've, I've introduced is an architecture management and review process with the idea being um, really at, at any company and as you get bigger from small startup, you have to start making technology decisions so everyone's using the same technology. But you also need a forum for people to say, well, I have this idea and this thing will work better. And why don't we do this? And so we have that forum where anyone can actually propose a change. And then we have a group of senior engineers who kind of assess the change and come to a consensus. But we have at least that open door and open forum for people to, to be able to say, I have an idea or I can make this thing better uh, with, with this without us having, say, uh, complete chaos. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I completely understand uh, that. And having a group of people to make that decision makes so much sense. Like, uh, it's like an, a group of authority people, right? Um, and engineers are very attached to, you know, their pet projects and stuff they are doing. And sometimes we can be clingy and we feel like this is the only solution. Uh, and we uh, sometimes are not as self-critical as we should be. So I think that kind of a... Uh, uh, policy and having a process like that is really fascinating. So uh, tell me this, right? You you worked at Google uh, and you were kind of on the side of, you know, building a team out there. Expand on that role and that experience. And uh, I know you worked on the Google Marketplace as well, pushing out Gmail and things like that. Let the people know about what you did there and how, how fascinating was it to work in an environment uh, like that? Yeah. I, at Google, I did a, a few different things over the time I was there. Um, the, the first thing I did was actually um, build a, a team to build applications to manage and design Google's networks. So Google has, I think, that's still the biggest network in the world. It's been a little while since I, I worked there. But um, the idea of being able to design and inventory every single piece down to the physical connector of a network was was something that 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 organization needed to do because what was happening is they were designing networks in diagrams well it got too big for diagrams and so they were doing it in spreadsheets and then it got too big for spreadsheets and they needed some kind of a visual application that would manage that and so that was the first thing i i did was work on uh, application to manage and visualize and say, look at, if there was a change, it would calculate that change and then show what the difference in the network would be, kind of like a, a physical network diagram. Um, so that was really interesting work to do. And it was a really good introduction to the scale of Google and and the tools you that you had back in when I was there in 2011 and on to, to be able to do that with. And so I did that for a few years and then worked on a product called AppMaker which was a rapid, rapid application development tool. Um, it was an internal app that we ended up going externally GA with. Um, I managed part of the, the team there, the editor side of it. So if you think kind of like a, a WYSIWYG app editor um, that we released. Yeah, and and that was a really fun space to work in. Um, a lot of Actually, a lot of the time I spent there was more front-end focused, and so um, I had some exposure, not just to the, the back end, but then the front end there, which was really interesting. Um, and then after that, a few years later, through that time, um, we needed someone to, to take on the, the, it was back then, it was, it's the Google Workspace Marketplace. So yeah, if you go to Gmail and you try and add an extension, it's that, that marketplace. And so we were moving the product from one location to another. I had to build a team from zero to take that on and then start 
making enhancements and and taking control of of the product and that was also a good lesson in scale because over the years there were a lot of dependencies built up on this app marketplace where all of Google's products depended on it so if it went out then you know you could you could bring down Google Docs and uh, I didn't want to bring down Google Docs you don't want an email coming from your CEO directly to you because hey why is my Google Doc not opening right <laughs> so it's <was> just curious <laughs> yeah these are like when you said these three projects right that you worked on these are all such significant projects that you have worked on um i mean I, one of the things i like about um you know especially with google cloud personally is the the unified network that they have and however they have abstracted that network to be so easily accessible the way we connect we do vpcs and everything so so easy within uh, that environment so when you first got exposed to this the scale of google and this network what were your first thoughts did you have to even consider the physical lines that are put across continents uh, you had to consider that in uh, this whole process yeah yeah it was the the physical so the the physical connections and and google right now pay, has bought some of their own fiber cables so that was going on when i was there there as well and so yeah we had to take that into account and and something that really surprised me too when i had joined is you don't realize it but google has a presence in basically every city in the world like there there's some google equipment to serve either youtube videos or run google docs and so you you don't realize it but they had been working on that that edge for a pretty long time and so now maybe it's a more typical thing you know you have cdns that can do that for you but um but back then just the the sheer size of the network and how far it got in penetrated into cities was pretty amazing tell me a little bit more about the project that you were saying the last project around uh, the marketplace um, was it uh, like the project that was accessible to like every user who has a gmail account or was it the was it what uh, turned into the enterprise solution of gmail that everybody now has access to the idea back then was that uh, you had an, a, a way to write uh, extensions into each of the Google products, and you, you still do. It's built on on AppScript, which is um, kind of kind of like an evolution of what a lot of people use VBScript for the Microsoft products. And so, Google AppScript is the equivalent, but it runs in the cloud. And so, you'd be able to write like a Sheets extension or a Docs extension. So you see like a Docs extension that'll check your grammar, for example. And so. There, there are thousands of these extensions available, and some of them are go along with a, a paid service, say, that the company would offer. So what they do is they build all these extensions also to integrate with Google Docs so that customers get more value out of it. So it's, it's accessible to everyone. Um, I think we called it the Enterprise App Marketplace because we were focused on enterprises and people who are paying for, for Google products, but um, it is accessible. These extensions are accessible to everyone. Uh, tell me a little bit about, you know, your leadership philosophy, because you've built great teams at Google. You were leading teams at, uh, you know, Hippo Insurance, and now you're leading the team at, uh, you know, Fivetran. Over the years, how has your, you know, leadership philosophy, has it changed much? Or, uh, you know, you, what, what are they? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And over the years, I think it's evolved. Um, it's, it's funny because I have I've had an evolution from started in the army and ended up at Google and those two are are mostly polar opposites um, and really at any tech company at Fivetran now too it's a very different culture 
And so it was, it was a progression, I guess I'd say. Um, when I, when I left the army, I went to work for a defense contractor for a while and kind of dipped my toe into to tech, but it was still kind of a comfortable place. And then I worked at a, a hospital in Los Angeles, um, managing a team that would build all of their internal and external applications. And so that kind of was another step. And then Google after that. And so it's evolved over time, I think. And so uh, you can't, you know, you can't obviously just tell people what to do all the time. You really, it's really situational, I guess I'd say. And and that's the way I look at it is that every situation is different. Every person is different and everyone's motivations are, are really different too. And so you have to take that into account uh, as you, you kind of lead a team. So that's one thing that I, I take into account. Um, I think the other thing that, that I like to see in, in managers and I try and do myself is you can't ask people to do something if you don't, if you wouldn't at least be capable of doing it yourself. Like I maybe, maybe I don't write code all day and it would take me a while to, to get back into the, into doing that. But I think the, the point is that I should also, you know, stay on top of, of what we're doing technically. And we try and hire managers also that can do that with their teams. Right. So that leads into a question, right? Like there's so much going on in tech, right? So many different projects coming, so many different ideas. How do you keep up with all these trends and kind of, you know, keep up with, you know, what's happening and, you know, going back to a conversation, anybody comes up to you and says something, how do you know that, okay, I, I get it. I'm able to track what you're trying to say. Yeah, I think uh, spending spending time with with some of the technologies myself, whether it's, it's at the end of a work day or maybe on some of my free time. I think that that's something I try to do. Um, you know, I write a little bit of code on the side. I think reading a lot too. And, um, you know, on, on Medium, for example, there's a lot of articles that are garbage, but there's a lot of good ones too. And, and so spending the time reading about new technologies and whether it's from an online source like that or whether it's from reading books. Another way I've, I've actually kind of found that helps is, is writing. I think writing really forces you, you, you don't want to put something out there that's half-baked. And so it really forces you to learn and think. And so I do try and spend some time writing, um, like whether it's either a public blog post or even internally, I send a, an every other week update. And I, I by by being forced to, to write, I'm also forced to know what's going on. And so I think writing helps as well. Yeah. I mean, some people I feel have this innate ability to manage time so well like in i don't have the that ability i i think i've managed it decently but not to the point where you can do everything that you know you've thought about during the day how how are you with time management though it depends on the situation so at five tran i tend to have meetings early and so that would normally in the past that would be my time like 7 a.m to 9 a.m would be my time to catch up and kind of get prepared i don't have that anymore since my meetings are mostly from seven to to noon. But then what I'll do is in the afternoon or at the end of the day is kind of just catch up for the next day then. Um, and so I think, I think spending some time and just thinking about like, what are, what are your goals for the day? Uh, either today or tomorrow, uh, I think helps to, to be able to kind of parcel your time out. Yeah. I think that's a great advice to folks who are like all over the place. I think there needs to be some time to like get organized and kind of focus and get back into the things. And Calls are going to be never ending. 
in this day and age where we actually all work remotely, you know, so uh, you have to figure that out. Uh, I want to pivot to asking uh, a question around as you build teams, you know, especially platform engineering is what you're doing right now. What are one few of the challenges that you see, you know, these teams kind of coming across on a day-to-day basis or you have seen and have handled? Yeah. Um, so I think one thing is we're, we're metrics driven. And so for any of the challenges, we, we try and have a metric to, to say, this is what success means for this. Um, so I talked a little bit about the uptime measurement and we're gradually, and as a platform team, I'm responsible for a few things. One is, is reliability, particularly of infrastructure reliability. I think two is providing a software platform that, um, that the rest of the engineering organization can use and um, is is fast and and just works. And so in doing these things, I think we need to we set metrics for these goals. So if like for our uptime calculation, we continually make it more restrictive and we say we say, okay, well we got to this level. Now what if we consider every error as as an outage and then and kind of go from there. So I think I think that's one of the things is is being able to look at the metrics and kind of squeezing in as you go. Um, I think scale is another one that in platform engineering we really have to to think of. And at at first it starts to be scale, but then eventually, like I said before, cost becomes a factor. And so we rent compute and we use it to sync data. And so we want to make that as efficient as possible. And so there's things things we do. Um, that at Fivetran we're actually pretty successful with the cost side of it, and we've put in features like um, auto scaling. Kubernetes lends itself really well to auto scaling, for example. Um, memory management is is another thing, and thinking about like memory and CPU and and thread management, which are interesting problems. We I kind of look at it as for our problems, particularly for platform type problems, whether it's infrastructure or or code, you really have to think like a C programmer. Like how do I how do I maintain my resources? And there's a certain type of engineer who really likes those problems, and so and really cares about performance. And so, I think those those people fit really well in in platform engineering. You know, you want to squeeze every last bit out of that CPU. Um, and and so that's another thing we do. And then having to think about all three clouds is a challenge. I think we try and make our infrastructure as uniform as possible, and um, that's we use some frameworks like Kubernetes to do that. Uh, but all the clouds have differences. And so those are those are challenges for us to, to tackle. Now, I'd say it's also a good place for SREs, though, because they get a chance to learn all three clouds. And so, yeah, that's it's appealing to be able to say, well, okay, you just figured out how to do this in AWS. How do you do it in Azure? Uh, and so we, we do have those kind of challenges that, that people have in in Fivetran, but it is hard to keep organized with so much, all this surface area and all the different things you can do. Um, it, it, it's challenging to keep organized. Oh yeah. And the kind of problem you're trying to solve is a complex one, right? Like, I mean, Kubernetes is a fascinating project that came out of Google and it's become actually sometimes very complex to implement, right? Like you, you don't have a lot of people who are able to nail it down exactly how you want it, but resourcing and recruiting the right people kind of is as equally important to a project for its success. So um, have you had any challenges around, you know, recruiting uh, or like, I mean, you will have somebody who might be great at EKS, but you want him to do GKE and 
uh, you know, have you had uh, challenges exploring uh, recruiting around that? Yeah, we've we've had challenges with recruiting um, over the past year. They've gotten a little bit better. I know during my time at, at Hippo, that was kind of the the heyday of people changing jobs and and tech being in demand, and that was really difficult. And um, there, I spent I actually spent personally a lot of effort on recruiting. I still spend time on recruiting at Fivetran, but I think it's actually slowly gotten a little bit easier to recruit. Um, and and for SREs, we we want them to to want to do different things. We want them to be excited about say, go figure this out now for EKS, um, and and to be able to to do that. So um, yeah, it's 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 always a challenge. I think recruiting and and retaining a team is always a challenge. Um, but I think we've been pretty good at it at, at Fivetran. The whole idea of allowing people to make mistakes as they kind of learn new things, that's also critical, right? Uh, I think the people who are in technology today are constantly looking to like apply things that they learn into uh, like something that can go into production, right? So what I wanted to ask you with that was, have you had any experiences where you were trying to do something in production and it just went down really badly uh, and then you had to scramble and figure out something. So tell us an episode or any experience like that. I'll just take a view of it, of of where I am now in, in that um, in leading an organization, you you want people to be aggressive in in making changes and in, in not being afraid to experiment. And so I think, for example, as a code base gets really large, um, it's more things can break. You have more tests, you have more production code that can break. It's easy to get bogged down and paralyzed um, as an engineer to say, oh, I don't know if I can make this change. And so we do some things to, to try and foster that kind of momentum to say, yes, do go make the change. And and one of them we do is we release multiple times a day. And I think that that itself is, I think, really important because it gives engineers a chance to get really quick feedback on the changes they've made. They can watch it the same day while they still have the context and attention of, of what they're working on. And so um, that's one thing we do. And then having good monitoring in place. So when they do make a change and it blows up, we detect it really quickly before it becomes a big problem and we can reverse it really quickly. And so I think that's another thing that's really important and in that you have to assume that mistakes will be made and, and changes will break. And so you, you have to have a good plan to recover from them. Um, but you don't want the fear of making changes. And so another thing is too, to have a good post-mortem process and, and a no blame process. Things happen. And so it, the, the problem generally isn't that the person made a mistake. The problem is, well, what was the, what was the system around it that allowed the mistake, um, or allowed it to go into production or didn't catch it fast enough. And so, um, that's one of the, the other ways I think we address those kind of challenges. Yeah. I like what you said specifically around the fact that we need to understand what the systems are around it that cause that and what can we do to go back and put some breaks in between to make sure this doesn't break again, you know? Uh, so so I really appreciate you bringing that insight out. When, you, when your team kind of works on these problems, uh, are you like looking at, you know, large-scale deployments or these are like smaller operations and... Uh, in many ways, you get the time to like kind of see it in a smaller environment, see how it's working before you see how it's going to scale. Yeah, I think 
so I think the answer is is it depends, but usually yes. If if we make a big change, we'll put it behind a feature flag, and we'll roll it out to say ourselves or one customer or a small number of customers, and then we have certain cohorts that we we end up rolling out changes to, um, and so that's that's one thing that that we do. Um, we also have the concept of Canary for the we run a few services. Um, I wouldn't call us a microservices architecture, but because our, our syncs are, are basically batch syncs, but they do rely on a few services. And for those services, we do have a canary rollout that, that we roll out and detect early. Um, so, so yeah, that's a, that's another thing that we do. Um, we've, we've also, we've also put in some, I, we've done a little bit of innovation around deployment too. And so we have some automation around when we, when we deploy a bad build for a connector in production, um, we have some automation that will actually roll it back for us too. Yeah. And so um, it's something we've been piloting for a while. And I think we've finally gotten and tuned it to the point where it's 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 right enough that, that we're using it. And so it will help really limit the size of mistakes um, as well. And so, yeah, so all these things, I think, are things that add up to saying to our engineers, you know, you can be aggressive. Your code goes out quickly. We have controls around it being rolled back if there's a problem, and um, it it ends up being that we can maybe minimize incidents and and maximize uptime. I'm pretty sure what the automation that you have built around has to be kind of tuned to your environment and the project that you have. Is it generalized enough uh, that it can be open sourced for other people to kind of take advantage of as well? Oh, I don't know right now. I guess I'd have to ask our SRE team that. Uh, yeah, it's it's just something that we've been experimenting with now. But that's that is a good that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I am fascinated by uh, innovation. Like, if you look at it, it, this in a meta way, right? Like, the Kubernetes project came out from a bunch of people trying to solve a problem within Google, turn it into like an open source project, and now everybody is taking advantage of it. So, I love the fact that you know something that you have or some people did you have taken it and tried to put your own spin on it. And I'm excited mostly when I hear people building their own innovation engines and I kind of bringing it out. Like it'll be fascinating for other companies and folks who are trying to solve the similar problems uh, to kind of take advantage of uh, something like you're doing. Because uh, it's very hard problem, actually, to, to catch a problem uh, when you observe it. First, you have to observe it and kind of figure out, oh, there's a problem here. And then know that you have to make the decision to roll back. Uh, you know, it requires a lot of intelligence. So I'm, I was really fascinated by uh, what you said. Uh, so I'll be curious to know if you open source it or not. Because <laughs> I'd love to check it out. Yeah, I'll I'll talk to our team. I mean, and and part of it I think is a factor of just the way that our software runs is because we run millions of syncs a day, and so they they we have millions of times it starts a day. So if the last one fails we kind of have the luxury of saying, well, let's run the next one on a different version. And so that's, I think that's part of uh, why we were able to do this. I wanted to ask you, you have so many things running and these are mostly batch or you, you mentioned batch, but is also, are you considering real-time experiences uh, for sync connectors as well? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something we always talk about. Um, I know, I know for the batch, like we've continually reduced the, the time between syncs um, that we offer customers. And so while it, it doesn't get 
exactly to real time. It gets them close enough where they can have some somewhat real time systems. I mean, we we do have other methods for real time syncs. You know, we have a, a webhook capability, for example, that can trigger a sync on demand. And so, um, and we we have been working with some streaming uh, as well. And so, I think we'll 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 probably see maybe a, us pay more attention to that. But but overall, I think. Our, a lot of our goals are around making sure that um, if you have a large amount of data in the source, we can get it to the destination safely. And so I think I think our speed and reliability of doing that are, are our most important things. And then you, you might see some real-time capabilities show up, or at least us be able to support certain ones over time. You've been a leader in the space for a while. You've kind of built teams, led teams. What do you think is the future looking like when it comes to the data space? Like, I, I know we are already into 2023 and it's been a wild year for AI and generative AI and large language models. That's one gambit or a cohort of things. Do you, is that what you're excited for when it comes to technology and looking at what's going on? Yeah, that's one of the things we're excited for. I think um, data lakes seems to be a big one now and it's gaining a lot of traction. I think I think a lot of companies are seeing that certain products that you can build a data warehouse on top of a data lake work really well and syncs are, are fast and they're consistent. And so it's something we support as, as well. And we've had some recent releases of new data lake capabilities for, for S3 and for Azure. Um, so that's a big one. And then and I know I'm always looking and we're always looking at, at AI and the thing, AI is always hungry for data. And so I think I think that's another one that that's big that that we're looking at and and we're looking at ways we can use ai as as well um our problem doesn't always lend itself as well to ai as some others but you have places in either um support where you know being able to have chat gpt scan our docs um works pretty well um or you know we've we've experimented a little bit with ai and the question of whether you know, could we get ChatGPT to write us the code for a connector and get us 80% of the way there? Maybe, um, which is something I think you'll see more in, in the future is that engineers will will work with some of these AI products as a companion. And so I don't really see, like I don't really see ChatGPT replacing engineers, but you're going to see this companion where, where they say, okay, here's my problem. Give me 80% of it. And then I'll take that 80% and turn it into the last 20%. I think so. I, I have similar thoughts as yours. I do not know if you explored uh, the latest uh, ver uh, version of GPT-4 that has vision analysis or data analysis available. But for somebody like you were mentioning that you worked at Google and you had to do a little bit more explorations around front end. I did this experiment about two weeks ago when I drew like uh, a web page or like how the components needs to be put together on a you know, web page took the screenshot, gave it to ChatGPT, and it produced React.js components along with HTML and CSS. I took all of that code, put it into Node.js, and within like 15 minutes, I had like a basic boilerplate running, uh, you know, website. Imagine if you got that in 2012, 2013. Yeah, I know. That's pretty amazing that it does that. Yeah, I've I've thought, I've I've wanted to try that with, I've, I've always wondered, could you take um, an infrastructure design? Like, what if I drew a network diagram? Could it write me the Terraform for that? Maybe maybe it can now. I feel like if we can train the model on Terraform data, then it should be fairly 
able to like take that diagram and turn it into like terraform code i know people have taken um you know images of like you know broken hand or bones and uploaded it and it is chatgpt is giving you diagnosis of how to how to fix it uh, these are fascinating things but as you said it it can tell us what it knows from the training data again it will not be able to give you the premium experience that an engineer gives you say at you know um, at the end of what the result needs to look like so 80% would definitely is where we are right now with these yeah it seems like it and and it still needs a lot of training data and so that's an opportunity for us at, at fivetran to provide that data uh all right so as we go in you know we're about to end i know we have 5 to 10 minutes left uh, i wanted to ask you uh, like what to young people or young engineers who are in this space who are working on big ideas trying to build applications uh, or even people who are already engineers and are looking to take that next step as leaders what are your few advices to them yeah i think um certainly as as engineers who are really working anywhere is um you know try and try and plan your own workout i think i think a lot of us get get stuck in saying okay what's the next task what's the next task and um there's i think there's room for everyone to to be a leader and a, a planner especially in their own work or or work with with some of the people they they work with um and and it's interesting that writing code and doing doing kind of the planning out of sequence of a project or are different skills and so um i guess i guess my advice there would be lead something you know just just start doing it uh, and you don't need to to wait for someone to to point to you to step up and and do that um so i think that's that's one thing i would say i i'd also say that advancement isn't isn't always a straight line um also and that's what i think a lot of people see oh it has to be you know this then this then this step and it's not always the case um even even when i had worked at the the defense contractor i was i was managing a team and and i said you know i have to get back more back to kind of the the hands-on work and understand it a little better and so i took a job that was a hands-on job um and and it was an ic for a while and so it wasn't necessarily a straight line you know, at every step of the way, you know, there's always some, some different ways you can go and not everyone's path is the same either. Um, I guess the last one I would say too, as people advance is, is don't lose the, the technical skills. Um, certainly for managers, like most managers don't code. We know that. Um, they mostly, I, most of my work is not, not code, but I, I think it's important not to lose that. And I know I've seen some organizations that say, well, we just want our managers to manage, you know, all you do is deal with people. And um, that that's the kind of organization where where I would I would question, you know, maybe that's not a good place for someone who's kind of engineering focused because um, engineering managers should like the engineering too. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think especially the last one is so important because it's also like you are speaking the same language with your engineers, right? So um, it, otherwise, it's going to feel like lost in translation. And as tech evolves, everybody wants to kind of keep up or cope up with what's going on so it's a great advice mike all right so mike thank you so much again for you know your uh time it's been such a pleasure having you great conversation and you know i look forward to whatever you and your team are building especially that project that i hope you can open source if if it's possible to be open source yeah i i will i'll let you know about that yeah thanks for for having me on 
All right, that's awesome. Thank you so much again, Mike. And uh, with that, we'll close the podcast once again. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you in another episode, guys. Thank you. <laughs>